We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, today, we are going to talk a little bit about prayer. Um, Christ teaches that to his disciples. He's going to teach that to us here today. Uh, do any of you know the... Oh, this gave me trouble. I even tested it this morning. There it goes. Uh, do any of you know the artist who painted this picture? Durer, yeah. Yeah, some of you maybe know it. Albrecht Durer. Uh, do any of you have this painting or a replica of it in your house? Sometimes we do. Um, this, this is uh, one of Albrecht Durer's most famous painting. Uh, can you guess the title of this one? Praying hands, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's not, it's not real fancy. But, yeah, praying hands, right? Um, Albrecht Durer, uh, 17, 1800s, um, was, was an incredible artist. This is one of, I would say, his most popular, his most well-known uh, um, works of art, simply titled Praying Hands. But what's interesting is there are some stories that have kind of come out about Albrecht Durer and why he painted Praying Hands and kind of the life circumstances that led him up to that. Uh, one of those stories goes just about his, his upbringing and his life uh, as a child. So uh, his dad was a goldsmith, and so he, he worked hard. He was a, a, a blacksmith, worked with gold, uh, and did those kind of things. And he lived in a town where the main production or the main uh, employment for the entire town was to work in the mines, specifically mining gold. And so Albrecht Durer and the kids of that age and in his town, that was what almost everyone ended up doing. But Albrecht and his brother Albert, which I was thinking as a parent, I'm like, I don't, Al Albrecht and Albert, I, like, I feel like they would have been mixing those up all the time, like yelling at each other at the brothers, right? Um, so I think their names were pretty similar, but they also had 18 children in the family. I know, we're like... Holy cow, right? So 18 kids. So then my theory is that maybe they just kind of ran out of names. Um, so the, the next one was like Albrecht. I don't know. Just let's take out a few letters. Let's just call the next one Albert. Uh, but they had 18 kids in the family. And, and as you would expect, uh, most of the boys, most of the young men were, were expected that they were going to go into the gold mine and go into the mines. Uh, but Albert and Albrecht didn't necessarily want to do that. Um, both of them had interest in art. They wanted to become artists. But it was expensive to get trained as an artist, and that took money. And they were realistic enough to know that their dad could not afford it. With 18 kids and, and the, the salary that he made from goldsmithing, he, he was not going to be able to, to do that. So they knew that they would have to kind of choose. So Albert and Albrecht decided, let's flip a coin, right? Let's flip a coin. Sounds simple enough. The one that gets the flip gets to go and be trained as an artist. The one that doesn't goes into the gold mines. They flip the coin, and guess who won? Albrecht did, right? So he went away to school. He was trained as an artist for four years. People were amazed by his skill and, and by the, 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 uh, the detail work that he could do in his paintings, the, the works of his hands, just amazed by it. While he was there in school for four years, his brother Albert used his hands to mine gold. Now, can you imagine what their hands maybe looked like after four years? 
They're vastly different. Right? And so Albrecht came back home to his parents, to his family, to much acclaim, right? They were, they were overjoyed that their son had become this artist. Um, and there he saw Albert with hands that were scarred and gnarled uh, from mining gold, right? It was at that point that Albrecht said to Albert, now it's your turn, right? He said, I got to be trained. I got to go to school for four years. Now it's your turn. You get to go. Albert looked at Albrecht and he held up his hands and said, I'm not doing any painting with these. He said, they're too broken, they're too scarred, uh, they're not going to be able to do what is required of a skilled artist. Albert said, but my joy is found in you, Albrecht, in the skill and what God has given you the opportunity to do. Your paintings give me joy. The subject of Albrecht's praying hands, some have said they were his brother's hands, right? Prayers answered, maybe in slightly different ways, right? Prayers answered seemingly from the flip of a coin, and yet God was with both of these men, whatever vocation they had, and in how they gave glory to their God above. Today, that's what we want to look at. The importance of prayer, right? The, the, the importance of us being able to go to God our Father above to be able to lay anything and everything at His feet to not only know that He listens, but that He answers and He works all things for our good. And so we'll let Albrecht Durer's praying hands kind of be our guide into this subject of praying to our God above. Uh, our text today uh, it's taken from the book of Luke, and so if you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to do that. Um, you're going to find it all printed in your bulletin. I'll also have some of that text on the screen behind me here as well. Um, but we want to talk about three different aspects that Jesus kind of brings out in this section from Luke um, about prayer. We want to talk about uh, prayer that is regular, prayer that is persistent, and then prayer that is courageous. Okay? Prayer that is regular, prayer that is persistent, prayer that is courageous. And so we're going to look at all three of those aspects that Jesus teaches his disciples and us here today. Uh, so the first is prayer that is regular. Uh, there was a, a kind of famous uh, um, um, missionary to the nation, to the country of, of India in the 17, 1800s. Um, it was largely a place that didn't know Christ, didn't know of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so a man named William Carey decided he was going to go do missionary work in a far-off land called India, right? And I think we would say that's noble work, right? Being able to bring, bring Christ to new people, right? Being a missionary, noble work. William Carey did that. Uh, he worked in the nation of, of India, uh, in the country of India for 50 years, give or take, sharing Christ with everybody that he ran into. And, and that message had its impact and its effect. And yet, that story isn't so much about William Carey, the missionary, going and sharing Jesus with the nation of India. It's actually a little bit more about his sister. William Carey's sister uh, was paralyzed. She had been her entire life. She couldn't travel to India. 
she couldn't leave her home and most of the time couldn't leave her bedroom at all. But do you know what William Carey's sister did on his behalf every single day for 50 years straight? Yeah. She prayed for him, right? She prayed that the message that he shared would have its impact. She prayed for his safety. She prayed that he would have the energy to be able to do the things that she was not able to do. She prayed regularly, every single day, for 50 years. And God answered those prayers through the work of William Carey. It's exactly what Jesus talks to, about, talks to us about in our text here today. The importance of regular prayer, regularly going to our God above. So if you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to. We're going to start with our first couple verses of our text from the book of Luke. It says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father. Now, a couple things right off the bat. A couple things we notice about Jesus' prayer life. And maybe think back a little bit to Jesus' ministry, to the moments of that ministry. How often do you remember it being said that he prayed? It's pretty regular, actually. But here's where I, I think sometimes we I think sometimes we forget it. <laughs> Is that it's oftentimes somewhat in the downstrokes of the things that Jesus was doing, right? We see his miracles. We hear his miracles. We hear of his persecution. We hear of his death and his resurrection. And we hear of all these, rightfully so, these big moments in Jesus' life and in his ministry. And those lodge in our brain. We say, these are the things that he did. These are the things that matter, not only for his disciples, but for you and I. But what's fascinating is, Quite often, these are the things we hear in the interim. <laughs> that Jesus went away and he prayed, right? Praying in a certain place, right? Did he have a spot that he went to regularly? It sure seems like it, right? Did he pray when he worshipped at the synagogue? Absolutely, right? But we get a sense that Jesus' prayer life was consistent and it was regular and it was over and over again. Now, if there was anyone that wouldn't necessarily need to have such a consistent prayer life, you would think maybe it was Jesus, right? In his perfection, right? In his, his job and his mission of our salvation. And yet, what do we see Christ do? In moments of temptation, in moments of weakness, in moments of silence, in the in-between moments, and in fact, in almost every moment of his ministry, what do we find him doing? Praying. Communicating with God the Father above. And what's fascinating is he starts it out, the Lord's Prayer, as all of you know, by saying, Father. There's an intimacy there, isn't it? Not just a nameless, faceless something. But Jesus says to his disciples and to you, we pray to God, our Father, above. Right? In a relationship with a Father that listens, with a Father that loves, with a Father that eagerly desires to pour out his blessings on us, with a Father that always loves and always does what's right. 
So Jesus tells his disciples, make your prayer life regular. Not as a last-ditch effort. Not when, when everything is falling, life, uh, falling apart in your world, when you've lost a job, when a marriage or a relationship is tearing at the seams, not in necessarily in sickness or in suffering, not when everything comes crashing down and as a last resort, then prayer. In fact, Christ tells his disciples and us, we flip that around. We pray in good times. We pray in hard times. We pray in times where we, we, we are triumphant and joyous. We pray in times when we are sad and we are suffering and we are burdened. But we make it regular. Regular communication with God, our Father, above. Those of you that have had kids, what's the most worrying time when your kids are playing alone in a room? What, I think somebody said when you don't hear them, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it, isn't it? When, when things go silent, my ears perked up more than any other time. <laughs> like, what's going on? Most likely, they were teaming up to do something that they weren't supposed to do on their own, right? I think there's some truth in that for us, even in our prayer lives. I think there are moments when we struggle, when we are in pain, when we are sick, when we are suffering, when our prayer life simply goes silent. Are any of you there? You might be on this Sunday morning, right? I can speak as a pastor when I do counseling. Uh, when people come to me, I'll ask them about their prayer life. Are you praying? Do you pray? Is it regular? When there is struggle and when there are problems, the very first thing that disappears more often than not is prayer and regular communication with our God above. Yet when Jesus says, start your prayer with Father, what is he saying to us? He's saying he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear the pain. He wants to hear the sorrow. He wants to hear the struggle. He wants to hear the confusion and, and, and everything that is on your heart. Like any parent would, all we want is for our children to communicate with us. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Bring it to me. Let me hear it. Let me help you with it. Let me give you wisdom. Let me walk with you through it. It's the very same thing and the very same truth that Jesus communicates to his disciples and to us. God your Father wants to hear your voice regularly in good times and in bad, but all the time. He loves to hear your voice. And so that's our first point. Let's make our prayer life regular. There's a story that I read. Uh, some of you know, remember Paul Harvey? I know he's, it's already, that's already in like the ancient stratosphere now. But uh, Paul Harvey had a story about a kid uh, that was at a grocery store. And, and uh, um, they got into the grocery store, and grocery stores are really smart at doing this. They've I do not think this is an accident, but on the end caps, they put like the most tempting stuff, right? They do that to us adults as well, right? But on the end cap were some chocolate chip cookies. And so what did the toddler want as soon as he walked in the store, as soon as he was in the cart? He said, I want chocolate chip cookies. So he said to his mom, I want chocolate chip cookies. Mom said, no, no chocolate chip cookies. We're just here to get the basics. We're going to get in. We're going to get out. No fuss, right? 
So they go throughout the supermarket. And of course, every end cap, there seems to be more chocolate chip cookies, right? Uh, the mom was pretty, pretty certain that the store like literally set her up for this. Um, maybe similar to how when a pastor uses Skittles in a children's lesson <laughs> and sets, sets parents up. Um, but she was pretty sure that, that that was happening. And so he kept asking and he kept asking and he kept asking. And her, the tone of her voice kept getting louder and louder and louder. She kept saying, no, 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 you're not getting any cookies. I'm putting my foot down. I've drawn a line in the sand. No cookies on this trip, just basics. Go through the whole store. It's already been miserable because the kid will not stop asking about cookies. Finally, they get into the checkout aisle and they're about ready to leave. And the kid yells out in a loud voice, in Jesus' name, can I have some cookies? <laughs> now, questionable whether that is the proper use of Jesus' name to receive cookies. But was he speaking from his heart? He was, right? And what did the mom say? No, she said no. She still said no, but you want to know what happened? Everybody that was in the checkout aisle that heard the kids say it just started dying laughing. And they pooled their money together and the kid left with like five or six boxes of chocolate chip cookies, right? So, yeah. Here's the point. Why did the kid get what he want, wanted in a sense? He was persistent, right? He, he, he made that statement. He made that request to his mom over and over and over again. I think we can learn a little something from that little boy and from Jesus in our prayer life as far as it's persistence, right? So um, we'll read our next few verses here, beginning at verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are, and I are in bed. I can't give up and give you, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so what's Jesus' point? Persistence, right? And just like any parent, we never tire of hearing our children's voices. Maybe we get tired of the request, the same one, over and over and over again. But the truth is, we always want to hear from them. And the, that very same truth is true of God your Father above. He wants us to be persistent in our prayers. Right? We know that he listens. How do we know that? Because he's answered the greatest prayer and the greatest need that each and every one of us have. Ultimately, forgiveness. And so when we put this in that context, Jesus is teaching his disciples to be persistent in their prayer very soon he will walk persistently to the cross. Very soon he will, he will be persistent in his mission and in his life, ultimately his death and his resurrection on behalf of these disciples and on behalf of us. And so when Christ himself urges us to be persistent in our prayers, we listen because he gave nothing less than his own life for us on the cross. You are forgiven. You are loved. The access to God, your Father above, comes through Jesus Christ, through His death and His resurrection. Why can we be shamelessly audacious? 
Not because of who we are, what we've done, our record, our resume. But we can be shamelessly audacious because of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because in him and through him, we have access to our God above. When our God looks at us, he doesn't see uh, lives littered with brokenness and sinfulness. But he sees the perfection which Jesus Christ has won on your behalf. And so, we can be audacious. And we ought to be persistent as we pray to our God above to be with us. So regular, persistent, Last one, we also ought to be courageous. Uh, there's a story that I heard, and maybe some of the, this has maybe happened to some of you once in a while uh, as parents. Um, but a dad uh, that was out hiking with his son, and um, they, were, they were enjoying the outdoors, and they were kind of climbing up rocks and, and doing all these things. And uh, at that point, the dad was getting a little bit of water, and so he had his backpack down, and uh, he was getting his water bottle out. And all he heard from behind him was, Hey, Dad! And he turns to look, and can you guess what was coming at him? Yeah, his son. Yeah, so what has it, had his son already done? Before his dad was looking? Before he even called out to his dad? He'd already jumped. He'd already jumped, right? In the little boy's mind and view, why could he jump without his dad even looking at him, without having even heard his voice? He jumped because he knew this was his dad. <laughs> because he knew that his dad would catch him. Because he knew that his dad loved him. Because he knew that his dad had always been there and would always be there no matter what. The dad got turned around just in time to stop the child and kind of tumble onto the ground. But I think it's a good picture for us as well. I think sometimes in prayer and in life, we may not even know what we are praying for. I think there are moments in our lives where we feel as though we've jumped without a net or that we're simply falling and wondering if there is anyone or anything that is there to catch us. Truth is, there is. He always has been and he always will be. God our Father above is there for us in prayer, in this life, and in the next. And so Jesus encourages us, encourages you, we ought to be courageous in our prayer, right? Throwing anything and everything at our God above. Let's look at our next section of our text here. Verse 11, 12, and 13. Jesus says this, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus' point, <laughs> he is not flawed like you and I are as adults. Right? Uh, um, there are moments when we make promises and we simply can't keep them. Would we like to perfectly be there for our children at any and every turn Absolutely. But the truth is, we can't always do that. We haven't always done that. But what Jesus reminds us of is that we have a Father above who has and is. And so we can be courageous in our prayers. 
There is nothing so large, nothing so insignificant that we can't lay that at the foot of our God above and that he does not want to hear and to answer and to help us walk through. And so how is your prayer life? It's an interesting question, right? Most of the time when I ask people their prayer life, there's a little bit of a, eh. it's usually this answer, eh. right? I don't think you're alone. I think every single one of us maybe struggle in that area from time to time. Right? Regular, persistent, courageous prayer. It's not as easy as it sounds. But here's the good news. We have a God and we have a Savior that wants to hear it and is there for us. And so how is your prayer life? If it hasn't been awesome, if it's not awesome this morning, you have an opportunity to make changes because guess who is listening? Your God above. <laughs> it's not too late, right? And so we put in place habits, regularly going to our God above in prayer. Maybe that's before meals. Maybe that's at bedtime with the kids or in the morning. Maybe it's as you drive in traffic down I-25. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your grandpa or grandma as they are, they are, are getting far closer to eternity than they were before. Right? Maybe it's at the bedside of a sick daughter. Or son. We have the opportunity to be regular in our prayer. Let's do that. And let's be persistent. Those things that come up occasionally, but also those things that come up on a regular basis, that continually kind of nip at your heels, let's persistently put that at our God's feet. And lastly, let's be confident. You can be confident that your God above listens. And again, it's not because of who you are or what you've done, but it's because God, your Father above, sacrificed His Son on the cross for you. If He was willing to do that, I guarantee He wants to hear your voice and He wants to listen to your prayers and He will walk with you through it all. So how's your prayer life? Here's an opportunity. Your God is listening He wants to hear those prayers. Go to him regularly. Amen.